Well, good morning, Central Westland. And greetings to all of you who are gathered with us online. What a, what a wonderful thing to celebrate baptism. And I want I wanted to say something as I'm watching that because I have been traveling a lot in the last month. And I want to say something to those of you who are in here and you're 30 years of age and younger. Now, don't, I'm, I'm above that, so I'm obviously going to preach to all of us. But I just want to say something to you as a group of people. Wherever I've been traveling, I was in Baton Rouge, um, then I was in Thomasville, North Carolina, last week up in Rockford. I'm just telling you, there is a work of the Lord God Almighty in working in your hearts and in your lives. If you're part of a younger generation, you've seen it on college campuses, but I'm just telling you, it is alive, it's real. I've I've physically seen it. I have a friend named Mark. I'm not sure where he is in the room, but he was with me in Thomasville, North Carolina. We saw it there in second service among uh, the younger generation just coming to the altar, praying to God. And I'm excited about seeing what God is doing in your generation, and I want to just celebrate that, and I want to thank God for moving among you. And this morning, as you're here, if the Lord begins to stir in your spirit, you're, you go, I don't even know what that is. I'm just telling you, you can't, man can't create that. Man can't do that. Listen for that voice. Listen for that spirit. Be open to it. Don't let it frighten you. you go, what's, what's this moving inside me? It's just the Lord. He created you. He knows how you work. It's not something that we can orchestrate or man can manipulate. It's God's thing. And so I want to just begin this morning by asking those of you who are 30 year and younger, I, I'm just going to have you stand. So would you just all stand wherever you are? If you're watching online, you can stand, I guess. But just stand. And I want to just celebrate your generation. I want to celebrate what God's doing among you. And I'm thankful for it. And I want you to continue to pray. I pray the Lord will continue to anoint your generation. You may sit down. Of course, it's for all of us. We all need it. But I am especially thrilled to see the Lord working in your heart, and I celebrate it. Today is the beginning of Pastor Craig Bibka and the, the central team here allowing me to come and be part of the teaching team. I uh, was here many years ago as a pastor, but I got to tell you, for me to get to come back and to preach to you and to teach from the Lord's Word is a great honor for me. I want to tell you right up front, I have a determination in my heart to say the name of Jesus Christ more clear than I've ever, ever said it, to point people to the name of Jesus Christ as their hope more than I've ever said it, to be able to teach from you from the Word of God and let His Word speak. This book is truth. This book is what I teach from, and I'm praying that the Lord will, even this morning, use this book to speak into your life. And I want you just to open your heart to whatever it is he would say to you, uh, I am not going to try to trick you into following Jesus. I'm not going to try to say the right words. I'm just going to preach and pray that he does the wooing. So uh, if I go back, it's probably 20 years. Uh, I was able to go out and do something with a gentleman that his face is coming up on the, on the screen. Many of you will recognize this man. His name is Coach John Wooden. I visited him when he was 93 years old. Um, coach Wooden was the coach of the UCLA Bruins. He won 10 national championships. He won seven in a row coaching people like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton, for those of you who follow basketball. Coach Wooden invited us out to spend a day at his home, very simple, very humble home, 
in California, flew out there, arrived at his front door, knocked on the front door. Coach Wooden himself at 93 opened the front door. We walked into his house. His wife, Nellie, had passed away a few years before that, so he lived alone. And I remember just walking into Coach's house, and, and there's just this, man, this is an older gentleman who has had a great impact in our world and a great impact on the sport of basketball, which I love. And, and I remember just getting to greet him and meet him. And then I said, Coach, can I just walk around your house? He's like, oh, yeah, Dan, go for it, whatever you want to do. And I started walking around, and, and there were trophies here that he had won. There was a letter here from a president that he had framed. There was a, a memorabilia Tiger Woods had sent him. There was a letter from Mother Teresa. I mean, there was hardly anything the man didn't have. His house was full of all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, meeting him, he was not caught up in that stuff. He was simple. He was humble. I sat right beside him. I, I remember reaching over and I remember holding his knee. I remember touching his knee as I would talk to him. And I'm, I'm telling you, at 93, it's a knobbly knee. But I would ask him questions, he would just answer so simple, so humbly. And I remember after we left uh, California that day, getting on the plane on the way home, I remember taking out and just writing as many notes as I could of things he had said. It was just like, ooh. He, he made these sentences. At 93, he made these profound sentences. He, he didn't say things quick. If you ask him a question, he would contemplate a moment. Then he would say something. And I remember writing down as much as I could remember. And today, that's what we're kind of doing. We're up in this Guardian series to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy. Paul is John Wooden. He's reached the end. He's, he's at the end of his road. He's only 60. Tertullian and uh, Josephus, famous historians, tell us that as they study history, uh, Paul likely died between the age of 60 and 61, and, and he was beheaded for his faith. And Paul was probably 59, 60 when he wrote this letter. And he was writing it because he had been let out of jail uh, in the Roman area. He had been let out of jail. He had been released from that. He went over and he planted a church like Water's Edge does. He, he planted a church and he put a young man as pastor over that church and his name was Timothy. And Timothy was, those of you who stood up, he was 30. So this older guy, my age, I'm 62, he would have passed before he reached my age. A 60-year-old is writing to a 30-year-old, and we're going to see in this letter what he wrote about. Here's what he wrote about. Timothy was in charge of the church, and some of the people in the church were caught up in things they shouldn't have been caught up in. Sound familiar? There was bickering. There were people caught up in money. There was distractions and arguments. And Paul, John Wooden, was looking going, I better, I better leave him a couple of good thoughts. I better write down a couple of things that this young man, he's 30, I, I got to write some things down. Now, don't forget Paul's life. Don't forget that Paul was one who murdered Christians. Don't forget he stood there the day that Stephen was stoned and he blessed that stoning. He wanted it to happen. He was a murderer. He was a bad dude. And on his way to Damascus, the light struck him, knocked him down. And for three days he was blind. 
And then he went on a change of life because Christ spoke to him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why don't you try to make a difference for me? And Paul switched gears. And Paul probably was thinking about all of that as he said, I got to tell this Timothy kid some stuff. Timothy, a, a single mom's kid growing up in that home. Paul wanted to invest in him. Paul wanted to, to teach this young kid some things that really mattered. And today what I'm going to do from 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm just going to show you three things he said to Timothy. In the middle of a church that looked a lot like ours, brokenness, hurt, crap, caught up in the wrong things, doing the wrong things. Some of us got hidden stuff. Some of us open stuff. Some of us bickering about stuff. Normal church. Paul said, Timothy, um, I, I need to remind you, I'm about to pass. Paul probably knew his end was going to be gruesome. And he's like, I better tell this kid to hang in there and persevere. And so he writes several things. Now, I want you to really listen. Those of you who are near my age today, I want you to listen. But I'm going to challenge those of you who are 30 and younger, this first point that I bring up. It's hard to get at your age because it makes no sense. It makes more sense where Paul and I are. It makes more sense sitting here that I would say what I'm about to say to you today. At 17, 19, 30, this phrase isn't real catchy, but I want you to listen. I want you to listen for the same reason that Paul wanted Timothy to listen. Here it is. It's coming up. It's very simple. Paul said this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and they will take nothing out of it. That, that sounds like a dude who's right near the end of life and he's just, just, just listen to me. The stuff you're chasing, young man, doesn't matter as much as you think. It's hard for me to articulate that to you today. But as I look up there and I look at that phrase, I think what Paul is saying, you can chase contentment all you want, but unless you find it in godliness, you're just going to come up empty. And then he goes on to say, nothing you have attained will be taken with you. This morning, on some of your fingers in this room, there, there's a crazy nice diamond ring. There, there's an incredible pendant hanging from your, from your neck that is it's worth, wow, it's worth so much money. You won't be taking it with you. There's some cool cars out in the parking lot. They're really nice. They're, they're out there. Just go drive through the parking lot. Oh, that's a nice car. Will not go with you and Paul was saying to Timothy son just listen you're a 30 year old preacher and you it will be so tempting to get caught up in this stuff <laughs> the first thing that says to me is we, we live life chasing so hard temporary things that will pass we do I do. I'm standing here as a living testimony to this phrase, and I'm Paul's age. I reflected on my life. I'll just be honest and open with you and tell you about my life, because we live in the real world. We spend our time doing things. I do, too. I am a card collector, sports cards. I like it. Some of you know that. Some of you don't. But I like it. I like to chase Michael Jordan cards. I chased one this week that I found on eBay. 
I liked it and I wanted it. I probably spent two and a half to three hours doing that this week. I had to move another thing over here, had to sell something over there, had to move this around, move that around, and then I got it. <laughs> Same thing y'all did. You chased something this week. You say, Dan, is that wrong? No, no. But my question for Dan Seaborn is this. Did you chase God for two and a half hours this week? Is there a character trait about God that you thought about this week and you thought, I need more of that in my life? Did I chase that as hard as I chased the stuff of this world? Because that Jordan card, it won't be going with me. We get caught up in it. I love Starbucks. I love to go to Starbucks and get this thing I found called the medicine ball. I just love it. I'll get up at night sometimes, take my pajamas off, put clothes on, drive over to a place I love to get it, get my Starbucks, come back home and sit there and <sighs> I chase it. I like it. It's worth me getting out of bed and working for. Is Jesus? I'm just asking. This sanctuary this morning is pretty comfortable. It's a good tent. You got a pretty comfortable seat. We like comfort. We like all this stuff. And Paul said to Timothy, be careful, son. Be careful. Because chasing that ultimately is not the motive for your life. If my life's motive is to get myself comfortable, I've got the wrong motive. My motive is that I live this life to bring honor and glory to God Almighty. Now, those of you in here, you're 16 and you go, come on, man. I mean, I got my whole life ahead of me and I got to figure out what I'm going to do. I, I got to pursue some kind of reality. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. I get it. Chase it all. Have fun with it. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is at the end of your life and John Wood knew it and Paul knew it and I'm getting closer to it, I will be passing. My son Josh is sitting right there. He'll carry on the seaborne mantle. I want to pass it to him well. I want him to say at my funeral, Dad had some nice Jordans, <laughs> and now he has them. But Dad tried to live to honor Jesus. That's it. That's it. Nothing else I've attained will matter. And we have to keep perspective on that. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, Seaborn, you brought nothing in and you ain't going to take nothing out. Get that stuck in your brain. And today in here, somebody didn't sleep last night over something that will not be going with you to eternity. Well, Dan, I got, I got a big headache at work. Okay, go deal with it. Do it. Do not let it control your life. If you do, your motive's a little off. Work hard. Bring glory to God. Paul understood this because he spent his life in jails, fighting hard, being ridiculed, being beaten, but his motive was never lost. He wanted to honor Christ. 
Second thing I wrote down about this little passage is up there is this. The things of this earth will only get you so far. Oh, people go, well, if, I, if I do this and accomplish this, then I made it. Yeah, you made it. You made it. Ready? To the top of the earthly ceiling. Everything earth offers has a ceiling. God does not. Get the picture. Everything you're chasing in this world right here, it will smack it. You will get to it and you'll go, got it. And Paul says in there, that's not contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You don't even know your ceiling if you don't know Christ. You don't even know your ceiling. It's like this little thing right here. The world says, well, Dan, you, got, you, you, you keep going. You can hit it. And God says, really? Step out from under that, sea Warren. I got something way, look around you. Oh, my word. Oh, I was living in this little bubble. Right. This earth is a little bubble that everybody puts their head under and goes, I got to live up to the expectations. I got to meet this. I got to do that. No, 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 no. Get perspective. God is not caught up in the earthly bubble. He bursts through it and says, look over here. This is true contentment when you find, oh, oh, I, I serve you. I, I'm above the things this world has to offer. Correct. Don't get trapped by earth's small ceiling. It limits us. It controls us. Tries to intimidate us. Tries to tell us you have to fit in. And God says, I, I don't have limits on what I can do with you. I am your God. I will use you. And Paul knew, you ready? Paul knew what preachers' life was like. People love to control preachers. People love to put pressure on preachers. I grew up with it. I watched it. Paul would have said to the pastors in my home church, those people are being critical. Those people are focused on things that are not eternal. Rise above it. I've reached a place in my life. When I pastored here at Central full-time, I definitely needed your approval. I definitely wanted you to like me. I definitely could not see that about myself as clear as I can see it now. I'm here this morning and I'm going to preach God's word. If it offends you, I really don't care. Because I am here to teach and to preach what I believe God's word says. And it ought to be uncomfortable every now and then. Because we're sinners and we need to be saved by a powerful, anointed, holy God. And if we don't see that and we don't understand that, then we're missing something. That's a halfway applause. But the point is, God's word is offensive. God's word does push us to uncomfortableness. God's word does say there are right and there is wrong, and you need to obey what is right. God does demand obedience. God does call us to a higher level of living. But no, no, so many people in so many churches are submitting to this. Well, we have to know. No, we have to teach what truth is. This word teaches truth. And that's not something I made up. That's not something I decided. God preordained that from the beginning of time. Thank God he left us a book to give us some guidance. And this morning I say to all of you in this room, in this world that's full of opinions, 
Oh, here, oh wait, I found truth. Here's what, here's what truth is. No. No, no, truth is right here. This is God's word. This is what I based my teaching on. I have to say, I used to preach more of read a couple of verses, give up. No, I'm trying now. There's a reason I put the verse up on the screen and leave it up there because the word of God speaks. It's not just a song. And if you will read it and attach yourself to it, it will change your life. Let me say to those of you who are in 17, 18, 20 years of age, 30 and younger, when you first start reading God's word, like today, if I say, go home and read God's word, you'll say things like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what it says. I so remember that. I remember as a young believer in the Lord, going back to my teenage, you know, I'd heard about scripture, et cetera, and I would try to read it. Shoot, I remember some of the books I would try to read by theologians. I would just look at them and open and go, huh? I have no idea what that's talking about. But something's happened to me. I read the word daily. And when I read it, Sometimes it just is like, oh, that's so good. I'm reading right now in Proverbs. I love Proverbs. I love the wisdom of Proverbs. I'll read it, and I'll just have a little place I sit, and I go, oh, that's so good. And at 18, I went, huh? And something's happened inside me. I, I didn't have an original hunger for the Word. I had someone talking to me about this recently. I didn't have an original hunger for the Word. But now, if I went without it, it would be like going without a drink. I would be thirsty. And if you're here and you're 16, you go, I don't really have that. I understand. I didn't either. I just challenge you to read this word. I challenge you to look into it. I challenge you to begin to study it. I, whatever you chase this week, chase this word just as hard and see what happens. We're chasers. Chase his word. And then Paul writes a couple other little thoughts about Timothy, let me tell you something else about church people. They get caught up in this and this and this. And then he said to him, the reason I want you to teach those things that I just said to you about godliness with contentment is great gain and you'll take nothing from this earth, so remember that. The reason I want you to tell you that, Paul, uh, Paul said to Timothy, is because if they don't do that, talking about church people, if they don't do it, this is what he said, they will plunge their life into ruin. Listen to that phrase. Does that represent our world today? People are literally plunging their lives into ruin, thinking they're finding hope, and they get to the bottom of that well, and it is hopeless, and they have to come back to go, what's that about? Paul's saying, Timothy, teach them, tell them, don't neglect this. And this morning, on Sunday morning, I look at you and I say to you, don't chase the junk of this world or you will plunge your life into ruin. I don't tell you that because I have it all figured out. It's what this book says. It's truth. And you get to decide what you do with it. You're here today and you're 23 and you go, I don't like that sermon. I don't think he's right. I'm going to go out and do whatever the heck I want. You get to. It's your call. But I promise you, you'll plunge your life into ruin if you don't seek the Lord. It's just 
Never happened before that somebody said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it. I'm going to choose it. I'm going to have a bullet. Never get to the end of life and go, oh, that was it. I don't mean them. No, the people who are doing this and chasing this, they line up at our office for counseling. We literally right now went home, just added another 4,000 square feet. We don't have enough people to meet the needs of just Holland. And there's a world full of people who are plunging into ruin. Don't join them, Paul would say. And then Paul adds this phrase, Second thing I would tell you, I kind of read this passage in 1 Timothy 6, and it's almost like Paul could have said that sentence and then died. It's kind of like, you know, when you're into your life, say a sentence, die. Those are the kind of sentences he's leaving to Timothy. And remember, he's writing it. And he wrote this. You, man of God. So Paul, writing to Timothy. You, man of God, flee from all this. I found it so interesting. Did you guys hear the second question asked of everyone when they, right before they were baptized? Will you run from this? This morning, literally doing this. Love it. Flee from all this. Pursue righteousness. Godliness. Don't run past the word. Stay with me. Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I, I, would just, I would just like to let your mind sit here a moment. Look at those words. Is that, does that represent your week? Like as you went through this week, as you look back at it, do you go, man, I was all about righteousness, godliness, faith. Love, endurance, gentleness. Let's go through them. Righteousness. What, what, is, what does it mean to pursue righteousness? Let me try to speak to that. Righteousness, ready, is a lifelong journey of trying to be more like Christ. Some of you in here, you're infants on the journey. You're just getting started. Even some of the stuff I'm saying today or something you read, you go, I don't fully get that. It's normal. I have three grandkids who are four years of age. When I have them at the house, if I were to say to them, now, children, the, the four-year-olds, come here for a second. Papa wants to talk to you about something. In life, there are these circumstances. They're going to be like, well, Papa, just get a Hot Wheel. I don't care about this junk. <laughs> Can't get it. It's pointless. You play with four-year-olds like they're four-year-olds. You play with nine-year-olds, you talk to them like they're nine. You got a 16-year-old, you talk to them like they're 16. You got a 30-year-old, talk to them like they're 30. Righteousness is going, God, I'm four, I'm nine, I'm 11, I'm 55. Will you speak to me and help me pursue you at this journey in this place I'm at? I pursued the Lord in an area of my life this week. I pursued him hard. It was challenging, but he expects me to pursue him. He doesn't expect me to get to a place where I go, well, I've arrived. Paul, Paul is not writing, hey, Timothy, I've arrived. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to tell you something, son. 
It's a lifelong journey. I guess I would ask you the same thing was asked of those in baptism. By God's Holy Spirit and with his power, will you leave here today and try to pursue him in righteousness for the rest of your life? Will you? I mean, you get to answer the question. Will you? This is, this is not an easy. You can't just go, yep, got it. No, this is a big deal. Will you pursue righteousness? Because there may be a lot of things fall off you if you pursue righteousness. And then the next word is godliness. They look the same. Righteousness, godliness. No, godliness consumes righteousness. Like godliness is above righteousness and kind of grabs it and pulls it in. Godliness to me is those, those character traits of God. I hope to be preaching about those some in the days ahead. Do you even know what that means? Like right now, if I said to you, take a pen or paper, write down God's character. Do you, do you know what you'd even write? Then I would challenge you today to go and pursue that. Pursue godliness. Like, like I told you, I chased that Jordan card earlier. Well, what if I'd spent three hours chasing that character trait of God, as I mentioned earlier? Which one of those two would probably have benefited me the most? It's just all about perspective. The third thing up there is faith. For me today, if I could describe faith, it would be, um, do you believe what's in this book? Like even as I hold it up, is there a part of you right now going, I don't know. There's a lot in there I don't understand. Okay. Will you by faith believe it to be true and pursue it? it it's your choice. Used to, I, I, that's a big change in me from when I was here before as pastor to now. Used to, I'd be like, what do I say to try to get him to want to do that? Nope, it's your call. That, that's not on me. That's between you and the Lord. This is his word. Faith is believing this word to be true. Do you believe it to be true? It's a yes or no question. If you believe it to be true, grow in that. It's why Paul, in this very passage, said to Timothy in this very chapter, son, teach this to be true. A lot of people are teaching, and he names two, two of the people who do that, and he begins to talk about there's a lot of people who teach untruths, and I'll be preaching about that in a couple of weeks when I'm back. A lot of people are teaching untruths, and Paul said, son, I don't care what they do to you. In fact, I'm about to be beheaded. I will not stop believing in this book. And there are some today. I, I've lived a long time. There will be people today who leave and go, I don't believe that book. That's your call. But I, as a minister of the gospel, have the responsibility of telling you this is truth. And faith is believing this. Love. <laughs> I laugh at that one when I think about when a 60-year-old says love versus when a, like, for example, in the room, 20-year-old says love. I remember when I first fell in what I thought was love, you know, when Jane was bent over at the vending machine. I fell in love. Uh-huh, and I like me some love. At 62, not so much. That's not what love is. Love is my mom. As I recall being with her on her final moments. Mom, anything else you want to say? Well, son, all I can just say is, I sure love you. Carry on in faith. Be a preacher for Jesus. You promise me you'll do that, son, because I'm proud of you, and I love you. 
There's nothing sensual about that. Paul's not writing sensual love up there. By the way, our world, crazy about sensual love. That's love. Love is sensuality. That's one of the definitions of love. Agape love is what Paul is talking about here. It is a deep, penetrating. <laughs> it's me at Christmas when my kids now say to me, Dad, what do you want us to get you for Christmas? Um, love each other. You won't get Daddy any greater gift than loving each other. That's what 60-year-olds say. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. Hey, son, love people. Because there's going to be people in that church, son, you ain't going to want to love them. They're going to tick you off. There's people even sitting in here today. There's somebody else. This church is big enough that there's, some, there's a reason you sit in this section because somebody's in that section. <laughs> love them. Well, they're hard to love. Yeah. I think it would have been pretty hard to be Jesus hanging on the cross and look down at love with the people who were killing him. But he did it. Love. And then endurance. You think Paul knew that one? Run the race. I mean, he's the one that wrote it. Prize laid up. Finish the course. Don't give up. And then he finished with a gentleness. Those of you um, who know most of the books that Paul wrote in the Bible, I don't know if you know this or not, but the books in the Bible, the way the Pauline epistles are in the books of the Bible, the order they're in is because they're in there from longest book to shortest book. That's why they're in the Bible that way. It's not chronological. So when you read sometimes Paul, you'll say, oh, he's being a little rough there. Oh, he's gentle there. Oh, he's rough there. He's gentle there. If you take and read the Pauline, Paul's books actually in chronological order, he goes from being pretty tough to pretty gentle at the end. The 60-year-old Paul was saying to Timothy, there's going to come times in that church, son, when you're going to want to go off on somebody, be gentle. I would challenge those. I've pushed those who are 30 and younger to think this morning. I would push those who are my age, 60 and over this morning. I would say to you, be gentle as you come toward the end of your life. It's easy to go the other way. I've met people who are 60 and 70 and 80. They just get gnarly. They get hard to be around. They get sure they're right about everything. And you kind of you don't like being around them. For those of you who are that way, you kind of feel yourself going that way, let me tell you something. You're probably choosing to get to a nursing home quicker. <laughs> Be gentle with your family. Be kind. They will make your final decisions. <laughs> and Paul had reached a place where he's kind of like, hey, chill a little bit, man. Be gentle. And then Paul I'm going to close with my favorite part of this passage. If you're writing, if you're keeping notes, if you're looking at your phone, I'm going to ask you to stop for a second because I'm going to show you something that Paul did at the end of this chapter that we have lost in our culture. We've lost this. What I'm about to do in 2023, I'm going to repeat what Paul said to Timothy at the end of the chapter. We have lost this in our chapter. Let me tell you what we've lost. Reverence for God and who He is. We've brought God down to 
our size and made him to look human. Well, he's like me. So we, we have people in our culture even name themselves the God or, or give themselves God status or say, I represent and speak for God. We have people who do that. Oh, my goodness gracious. We have lost understanding his authority. You are breathing right now because he allows you to. You, you are able to be alive today because he has not yet chosen your death day to be upon you. God is God and you are not. And we have lost this in our culture. And Paul gets to the end of Timothy chapter 6 and he writes this phrase. Timothy, God is the blessed and only ruler the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. As I get to that phrase, remember I told you, Paul, I wonder if Paul is reliving the day on Damascus that he was knocked down by a light. I wonder when he wrote that if he's going, oh, and I remember that. See, we say about God, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God some questions. No, let me show you what you're going to be doing. Oh, wow. Oh, I bow down. You aren't going to be doing what you think you're going to be doing. He lives in unapproachable light. You say, well, that doesn't even make sense. Let, let me help it make a little more sense. I was driving the other day, and the sun was right in front of me. I can't look at it. I, I mean, I can glance at it and look away, and then you got that spot. But you don't stare at the sun. If he can create something you can't even look at, how mighty must he be? How much greater his light must shine. Look at the next phrase. No one has ever seen or ever can see. <laughs> we've, ladies and gentlemen, we have lost this in our culture. God is God, and we need to humbly say, Father God, on this Sunday morning, you are reminding me again, you are in control. And I thank you for a dude named Paul who told Timothy this so we could get in on it and we could know that is our God. If you get this, I'm just telling you, if you get this, it changes the game in your life. You ain't caught up in all the things that many of you walked in here caught up in. Some of you came tripping and stumbling into this service this morning. You can go out on sure footing if you figure out God is God and you need to put your complete life at his disposal. It changes things. I invite you into that. I invite you to take a hand that sometimes goes, no, no, no. And I invite you to turn it over and go, come on in. I need you. I want you. This morning, I'm going to close. I, I don't want a song. You guys don't, we don't need any music. I'm going to simply close in prayer, and I'm going to invite you to turn your hand over. If you want to do it literally, do whatever you choose to do. I want you to have a mental, God, I need you. I recognize you alone as God. I'm not God. I've been pursuing stuff that is not helping me long-term. I submit to you, I give myself to you, I receive you this morning as my King of Kings, my Lord of Lords, and my God forever. I'm gonna invite you to make that decision in your life. 
I'm going to give a moment of quietness and silence intentionally. Lord, I ask over this audience this morning and those online, speak truth into their hearts and lives. If someone here has a life that is in shambles, help them to see, starting with you, they have hope to turn it around. A teenager who needs you this morning, speak into their soul. A kid here has felt a wooing in their heart because... They're chasing something in this world already that is tripping them up. Help them to yield to you. Dads, moms, grandfathers, grandmothers, we yield our families to you. So often we want to control it all. It's not ours. It's yours. Speak into our homes. Speak into our lives. These things on our fingers, these pendants on our necks, these Jordan cards we chase, help us enjoy this world. But God, since we're not taking any of it with us, help us to be eternal-minded. Go with us today. Help us keep our priorities in order. And we give you this time. In Jesus' name we all said, amen. Thank you for your attentiveness. May the Lord bless you. Next week we begin the next part of this series, and go in peace. May Jesus watch over your day. You're dismissed.